Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. That is freetalklive.com. Starting things out with uh, some not-so-great news from here in New Hampshire. Did you hear the news today, Mark? In New Hampshire? Smoking ban. Oh, no. Yeah. They got us. Yeah, it went through uh, 224 to 117 in the State House here in New Hampshire, I guess, earlier today. So that's just the State House. It still has to go where? It has already passed the Senate. It passed the Senate 17 to 7 back in February. Governor Lynch says he supports the law. Mm. When he signs it into law, this is from theunionleader.com, New Hampshire will join 16 other states, including all of New England, in banning smoking in restaurants and bars. The bill takes effect 90 days after it's signed by the governor. It also bans smoking in in-state licensed, in-state licensed public educational facilities, hospitals, grocery stores, elevators, tramways, gondolas, and other such public conveyances. They have gondolas in New Hampshire? The hell is it, a gondola? Isn't that a some sort of ski? a boat, right? I th- isn't that for uh, ski resorts? They call that a gondola. I think a gondola is a boat. I don't know. It exempts members. <laughs> and I have to look it up. It exempts members only private bars operated by social, fraternal, or religious organizations unless they're also open to the general public. So that's all we have as far as details at this point. More information is supposed to come out tomorrow. Well, a lot of bars, you know, uh, preempt this sort of thing by selling annual memberships for a buck. Yeah, um, I, I see where you're coming from on that, but I think that they're going to try to get around that by claiming that this is uh, that would make them open to the general public. I, I don't think so, though. That. It's it's not open to the general public. You have to be a member. You become a member when you come in there and pay right. them the dollar. So you sell a membership for a dollar. It'll be interesting to see what happens here. I don't know um, if there are going to be a lot of opportunities for civil disobedience. I mean, I would love for somebody to be civilly disobedient on this, but it would, again, the way they construct these laws, it would require the individuals who wanted to be civil disobedience to be bar owners. Mm-hmm. And most bar owners don't want to put their liquor license on the line. Right. To, uh, liquor license is very valuable, and, and uh, people don't want to you know, put their whole livelihood out for you know, a smoking ban. It, it's tough. Bill Dreyer, and I'm just reading through some of these uh, comments on the story from Hudson, says, I think it's a great idea. Having a mom and aunts pass away from lung cancer, I am for it. People can make their own decisions if they want to smoke in their own cars or house. Well, But you for can't now, make your own decision if you want to smoke in your own bar. It depends on where you live in this country, because there are some places where they are outlawing smoking in, in cars, if there are other people in the car, especially kids. But when you're eating or enjoying a drink and someone sits next to you and lights up, then you have a hard decision to make. Do I leave the establishment and ruin a good dinner or a night out? I am in favor of the bill. See, it's it's not that difficult of a decision, is it, Bill? Bill. Bill, Mm -hmm. because you decided whether or not you wanted to walk into that bar from the beginning. It was a smoking or a non-smoking establishment from the get-go. You don't have a hard... The only reason you have a hard decision is because you didn't pay attention to the sign. Yeah, good point. Uh, Lorraine writes in from Goffstown, if the smoking ban is to protect employees of restaurants and bars, why are private clubs exempt? Right. I see ads for bartenders all the time in the help wanted section. It seems you become a member after you're hired. If the government is going to protect people from smoke, then it should be across the board. My husband and I own a small tavern in Goffstown. We do allow smoking and will accommodate our smoking customers with an outside area when the ban takes effect. Well, that's going to work real well in the wintertime. 
We also do not anticipate a drop in business. If anything, our food business will increase. Yet another cowardly business owner who is too cowardly to ban smoking on their own, so they wanted to wait for the government, mommy government, to come along and make it a uh, mandatory requirement for all businesses. And that way they could just use that as an excuse to say, oh, well, what can we do about it? We're just going to have to ban smoking, and I guess so will everyone else, so I guess we won't lose any business as a result, because that's what they were concerned of. They're concerned they're going to lose business if they do it on a voluntary basis, but now since it's Sure, they don't want to have to compete in the marketplace against places that would allow smoking. Exactly. Uh, So I'm just running down the list here. Let's see. Lee from Charlestown says, this has nothing to do with Massachusettsization. This is a matter of the employee's health. The argument that an employee has a choice is not valid either. Really? If you have five people who work who work smoking and five who work non-smoking, what happens if the smoking call in sick? Do you close the smoking section for the day, or does someone have to work it who doesn't want to? See, I don't understand why why is it this is so hard for people to get? The employee has the choice to work in the establishment. They've chosen to work there. Period. Of course, they have a choice. Saying that's not valid is. Absolutely absurd. So I understand their quandary that, oh, what would you do if you had employees that didn't want to work the smoking section? Well, that would be up to the manager and the employees to decide on their own. They would have to figure it out. So much for live free or die, says Eric. I admit moving here from Massachusetts, but it was the perception of freedoms that brought me here. Certainly not to bring the foolish ideals from Massachusetts here. This is yet one more step down the slippery slope of the government becoming too involved in my life. I'm not a restaurant owner, but when will it stop? Seatbelts, smoking, is trans fat next? And helmets? Yes, these are great ideas to improve one's own life, but that's just it. It's my decision. I'll take note of those who voted in favor of this law and ensure they don't get my vote next time around, and I'll also ensure those I can influence will also not be voting for these people either. I suggest others who feel this way do the same. Send a message we want our freedom back from the New Hampshire of Massachusetts government. That guy's on our side. Yeah, clearly. 800-259-9231. And I, I hope he's right. I hope there's a serious lashback against these politicians in this state. They're making it they're making it as difficult as they possibly can on us, Mark, to try to recruit liberty lovers here to this state as part of the Free State Project. In mm-hmm. case you don't know, uh, Mark and I are members of the Free State Project. It's a, a movement of 20,000 liberty-loving individuals who are all going to move to New Hampshire for over the next several years and uh, be activists for liberty here in the state. And one of the reasons why New Hampshire was chosen was because it was obviously one of the most free states in the country. Of course, the recent election of uh, all these Democrats has resulted, not to say the Republicans have been liberty-loving in this state, they've grown the government plenty, but this recent, uh, the recent swing towards the Democratic side has reinvigorated all the statists in New Hampshire government, and now they're bringing out all the, uh, the liberty-destroying bills they can think of. Well, um, you know, I considered the smoking, um, and the, the smoking ban and the seatbelt uh, you know, the, the instituting of the seatbelt law here in New Hampshire, I considered those two to be the most important um, laws that Free Talk Live could target as far as, um, you know, the Free State Project. Now, obviously, we don't have a great deal of sway here in New Hampshire. Um, it's not like we're a New Hampshire radio show. We're a national radio show. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, I as far as the Free State Project goes, I, I think that uh, people look to New Hampshire for, for freedom and liberty, and, you know, obviously a smoking ban in bars isn't really indicative of that. Nope. Um, nor is having to wear your seatbelt. I think that's a bigger issue. 
I think that it's this, certainly much more. It's going to be more visible. The when way it they've happens. worded this particular law, um, smart business owners, and I'm going to make sure that I um, tell every bar owner that I happen to know. Look, so all you have to do is have a membership for one dollar a year, and you can get around this law. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have told one bar owner that already. So I like, have to charge hmm. every single person that one dollar, though. They will. Right. It'll be a one dollar cover charge to get in. Could you do lifetime? What was that? Couldn't you do lifetime? I can't see why you wouldn't. Right. I mean, one dollar lifetime membership. Uh, you'd. I mean, but then, do you have to have someone at the door the entire time that you're open? You wouldn't necessarily. It depends on how close your uh, bar is to the door. You know, your uh, actual bar is to the door. But yes, essentially, somebody would have to work the door. Right. Because I, be, I, my concern would be, you know, if they're claiming that if you're a public business, then you cannot have smoking. Whereas if you're a private club, you can. So if it's a public business, then. I don't know. Would would allowing or or if it's a supposedly a private club, would allowing a pu- member of the public to just walk in be a violation? Would that get you a fine? Well, no. You could, um, for instance, if I wanted to go to the Lions Club, mm-hmm. I can walk in the door. Um, I wouldn't be able to get served any drinks or food at the Lions Club until I was a member of it, and uh, they likely would charge me significantly more than a dollar um, lifetime. But you know, so it's something that can be gotten around. Um, I, it's not really good news. I would say that we yeah. did beat Real ID, and uh, that would be you know a huge issue for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, there's a, there's been a little bit of good news recently, um, but this is this is terrible news, and really it's just another indicator that New Hampshire is in just as much peril as the rest of the country. It's just things have moved a li- the the wheels of tyranny have ground a little bit slower here in New Hampshire, but. This is just another reason why we need to get the message out about the Free State Project and get as many people to move here as quickly as possible to stand as much, to stand our ground uh, to defend liberty. 800-259-9231. Talk about voting next. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever's on in your mind toll-free at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, we give them away, including an entire year's worth of archives right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. You just go and get them right there, front page of the site, for free at freetalklive.com. And wouldn't it be great to have an ex-narcotics officer be your personal coach to keep you from getting busted with marijuana? Go to NeverGetBusted.com to view clips of the recently released DVD that's gained world attention. NeverGetBusted.com. As we go to the phones, it is a uh, a guest that we've brought on. His name is Francois. I believe it is Tremblay. <laughs> that's right. Okay, good. I'm glad I got it right. Uh, Francois, you are, let's see, you host your own podcast. I believe you are the co-host of the Hellbound, is it Alley? Is that how it's pronounced? That's right. I have been, yes. The show has recently been uh, ended. Oh, I wasn't aware but of yes, that. Yes, I, I, I used to be, yes. I'm looking at the website, and it does not say that your show was ended, so that's why I was confused. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I, should I not give that site out as, uh, as your official no, no, website? No, give it away. I mean, we still have uh, plenty of archives on there for people to listen to. And, so, and I also have a new show called... The Machinery of Freedom. Which is all about uh, market anarchy, uh, anarcho-capitalism, the free market, and all that sort of thing. That's right, exactly. Uh, So so that would make you a uh, self-proclaimed market anarchist, correct? Yes, that's right. It's the best term that I use because the term anarcho-capitalist kind of has uh, systemic connotations that uh, I don't really like. I'm not really pro-capitalism per se. I'm in favor of everyone choosing how they want to live in whatever economic system they want. 
Mm-hmm. So the term market anarchy is the idea of having all ideologies on a sort of global market is closer to what we're talking about. So I, I totally understand where you're coming yeah. from. I uh, mm-hmm. personally don't choose anarcho-capitalist simply because uh, capitalism has sort of, in popular culture, has sort of become this bad yeah. word. And I think that if you talk to most people, they understand capitalism as the system we have today. They understand the word capitalism as state capitalism. Right, right. Which, which isn't, I mean, we don't have true capitalism today, and, and the only way you could have true capitalism is in the absence of the government. Uh, of course, I mean, it's it's silly to try to explain that to everybody when you mention that you're an anarcho-capitalist. So, And, and then, of course, uh, I personally don't really like the term anarchist because that's been sort of uh, marginalized and uh, destroyed by popular culture and the news media. I understand. Whenever I they understand. use the word anarchist, it's always those guys in, you know, Dressed in black, throwing uh, fire bombs at uh, some, you know, police uh, police protest or something like that. Absolutely. So the, that's why uh, I've chosen the, the, the other word that you can use is voluntarist. I like that one. That's a good one. I like voluntarist and I like uh, free marketeer. That's personally what I've chosen. For yeah, myself. yeah. So the, the, ter- the term voluntarist was coined by Carl Watner, and he has a whole website of. Uh, article and so on, which is also very interesting. So, Francois, uh, again, your website is hellboundalley.com. That's A-L-L-E-E-E, hellbound, A-L-L-E-E.com. It's not really my website. I mean, I don't really have a website, but if you want a website of mine on the topic of politics and market anarchy, I would recommend that uh, people check out simplyanarchy.com. Okay, that's one of your sites. Because on that site, I've really created a repository of all the interesting articles, all classified in different topics, and I have a very extensive list of quotes, and I have all sorts of links, all sorts of things on there. It's it's a gigantic repository of all things market anarchist. Excellent, excellent. So that's simplyanarchy.com, was it? That's right, okay. simplyanarchy.com. So, um... Now, the reason I found you, or the way I found you, Francois, was that um, somebody had posted on the Free Market Diggers, or the Free Market Dispatch Group, which we have here uh, with Free Talk Live. It's it's essentially a like a news group devoted I've to... I've heard that, yes. Oh, I've, mm-hmm. yes, I understand. I've got to explain it for everybody else that hasn't. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, it's, sure. it's a news group that is devoted to getting um, people to go and dig on the website dig.com, which is an incredibly popular social networking, mm-hmm. or not, I guess not social networking, but Web 2.0 website, to get people to go and dig up liberty-oriented related articles. And so one mm-hmm. of your articles was actually posted there, which was an article about, uh, I guess you were responding to Cindy Sheehan, uh, because yeah. we talked about Cindy's, um, Cindy's as basically she was throwing in the towel on activism, and you had you'd come out and you'd, you had an open lender, uh, letter to Cindy, basically, to Cindy saying, basically saying what to Cindy? Basically telling her, uh, first of all, that I very much sympathize with what she has to say and what she went through. Uh, Secondly, to explain to her a few facts about uh, what is the cause of war. And I believe that the the biggest and and necessary cause of war is the state and taxation. I mean, it's pretty obvious for us that, you know, if you don't have the state, if you don't have taxation, you can't have large-scale war. You can't have large-scale military. Right, you need the printing press. You've got to have the printing press. You've got to be able to print money into existence, really, to finance war. Exactly. And it's something that people, you know, because she was involved in the peace activism movement, and I think that people there are activists, first of all, and they're not... They're not searching for peace, first of all. They are there for activism. And activists need the state. 
because activists, activists, their first hope is that they can get the state to pass laws for them, you know, and make life a lot easier for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that's that's a big problem if you're going to be a so-called peace activist, because that's a contradictory. You know, you're not going to really search for the causes of war, and I think the state is the main cause of war, if you look at this both You're theoretically right. and historically. And the third thing that I uh, told her in this uh, open letter is that I think she should consider joining you know, the market anarchist movement because our movement you know, has the methods to make it. And political means have never achieved any lasting freedom you know, in the history of, of politics. You know, the only way to really achieve lasting freedom is through disengagement. And I, so I told her, you know, I, I think that you should consider uh, those facts. And when, that, when you say uh, disengagement, Francois, what do, what do you mean? What I mean by disengagement is basically, first of all, you need to explain to people what the situation is. You need to make them understand the, mor- the immorality of the state. You need to make them understand uh, you need to raise their class consciousness in terms of saying, you know, we have this ruling class here. They say they're ruling in your name, in the name of the people, but they're really not. They're ruling for their own interests, and they're using sure. democracy as their tool to legitimize themselves. And once you have that, once you have a group of people who are dedicated to freedom, you need to disengage from the state. And the, the concept of disengagement, it's like we say things like, don't vote, don't pay taxes, don't invest in government bonds, blah, blah, blah. But the foundation of it is the psychological process of being able to say, you know, we, you know, we're part of the people, the masses, and we're part of society. Society and the state are not friends. Society and the state are opposite processes, and the state is a parasite on our work as a parasite on society. And so you're and saying just rejecting that all, that. just sort of rejecting that all internally and coming to, to terms with the understanding that uh, you want to be completely separate from those claiming allegiance to the state. Basically. Exactly. And what that means in practice is you need to, of course, if we're talking about concrete actions of disengagement, we're talking about principled resistance uh, protests and so we'll on. Talk, let's talk more about, we're gonna, I want to touch on defeating the state and uh, getting away from the state and all that. And I can see Mark over here, I'd the like minarchist to touch on in the room. Sustainab- sustainability. Mark's the minarchist here, and uh, so I can see he's got a lot of questions brewing over there. We're going to get to I that, understand. Francois. Hang on, we're bringing you back some, uh, for more. 800-259-9231. But something Francois and I are going to disagree on, the reason I brought him on the show, is he's against voting, and I reluctantly support it. We'll talk about that coming up. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control toll-free at 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, including the Shrine of Female listeners. Dozens and dozens of ladies have sent us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. Head over to shrine.freetalklive.com to see what that's all about. That is Shrine. .freetalklive.com, and the Free State Project's Porcupine Freedom Festival, better known as Porkfest, is June 18th through the 24th at Porkfest. You'll be able to attend leadership and activist training seminars and socialize with hundreds of fellow activists and lovers of liberty. Register today at Porkfest.com. That's P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T dot com. 
we have uh, a guest on the line with us. His name is Francois Tremblay, and he is the <laughs> man. Enough. Close enough. Did I, am I getting it wrong? <laughs> what? Am I getting it wrong? No, 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 no. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding you. Okay, but, I don't want to botch. I don't want to botch up anybody's name, Francois. <laughs> no, it's fine. Before we continue, I'd like to make a couple of things clear, if yeah. you don't mind. Sure. No, the first thing is I'm not completely against people who participate in the um, whole Ron Paul campaign in order to co-opt its ideas. I mean, we already have a few people in our group that uses the values and ideals that people like about the Ron Paul campaign and use them to show, look, you know, there's a better way than voting for Ron Paul. There's a better way than using political means because you're really not going to achieve, you know, whatever it is that you value in what this guy is saying. And I think it's really good to uh, co-opt things like that. And the other thing is that the non-voting aspect is not uh, is not an isolated aspect. We're not saying uh, not voting as primary. What we're saying is to not grant any legitimacy to the state is the primary aspect that we're talking about. That does include non-voting, but that includes, of course, a lot of other things like taxation, uh, private arbitration, black market evading taxes, uh, not having any government bonds. Sure. Blah, blah, blah. Now, Francois, um, I live in a, a town here of, oh, I don't know, 30,000 people or so. And um, maybe in the municipal elections, you know, the local town elections, maybe a thousand people participate. So we have um, we have a great deal of non-participation going on in local government. But that doesn't stop the local officials from feeling as though they're completely justified in what they're doing. If two or three people came out, and we've read um, and we've had stories on air where nobody voted in a particular municipal election. Um, it doesn't seem to stop the municipality from, you know, using cops and guns and force from... Oh, that's uh, absolutely true. The main point of delegitimization is not to intimidate the ruling class, because the ruling class will not be intimidated until you have... Uh, uh, until they see... Uh, the actual results in their pocketbook when you stop paying taxes, when you stop you know, using the white market. But the main point of delegitimizing the state at this stage is for the benefit of other people, for the benefit of other people to realize that you know, we don't really need the state and the state. Right. You know, the now, immorality look, of the I, state Francois, I totally understand where you're coming from. And, and I agree with most of the things that you say in regards to you know, stopping paying as many taxes as you possibly can. Especially however, however, I have to interrupt you in there because there is a cost to not paying your taxes. I admit that. However, there's no cost in not voting. And well, there's no the cost, difference. but I, I say that there's a point in not paying your taxes. At the very least, there's no, no money going into the system. There, I would say that there's no point in not paying in not voting i no i no i agree that there there is a point in doing both i would say but the the, the difference is that well francois quick quick question exactly can you can you, you back away from your phone for ju- like just like maybe a half an inch or something like that we're getting a little bit of uh okay sorry kind of a little that. rough connection there go ahead with your point <laughs> well i would have to ask you what point do you see in voting what what benefit do you think it gives you as an individual or as part of this libertarian movement. Well, um, if I can uh, elect, and we in New Hampshire we've had some success in uh, electing libertarian individuals to the state house and um, you know other uh, other municipal bodies around the state. 
And um, mm-hmm. so I would say that the point is getting people who, whether they're um, you know free marketeers, I doubt very seriously we have very many of those in office, or um, you know just libertarians, uh, regular old libertarians in office, um, slows the wheels of the you know the state by churning out legislation. So um, you know that's that's the point. Okay, fine. In the context of the Free State Project, I agree with you, but what? here's how I see the Free State Project. Mm-hmm. Like I told you, in order to truly disengage from the state, you need to have uh, you need to have to, to have a community of uh, freedom lovers or free marketers, mm-hmm. however you want to call them. You need to have the creation of an alternative framework to see the state, because as long as you're plunged into state indoctrination and you have to use state services, blah blah blah. I don't think you can truly have, you know, an anti-state pro-society framework. And I think that that is uh, an important role of the Free State Project. I think that it's good for is that it has the potential of creating a safe space for people to to live in, to communicate with, and to have this this framework always present in their mind. So what do you say? um, Let me go, uh, Francois. In order to have the free state, though, um, it's not just getting twenty thousand liberty-loving individuals here, but it's them participating in um, government and being active uh, politically in order to get the state. um, You know, New Hampshire, which is a pretty free state already, um, you know, significantly freer. Well, now hold on. That attracts people um, that would be you know of the liberty mindset. So therefore, you you really do have a free space. No, I. Now, I agree with you, Mark, to that extent, but also the Free State Project is also made up of people that don't want anything to do with politics. There are But they're going to be active. I said active politically. Um, But they're not active politically. They're going out and protesting at the IRS building um, against IRS taxes, as far as I'm concerned, is being active politically. Absolutely. Okay, okay. That's fine. But they're also doing civil disobedience as well, and these people are coming in here, and they are moving together, and they are backing one another up. So when one one is arrested, the others rally around and they you know they do what they can to spread the word and, and harass Excellent. the bureaucrats and and there's really some great things going on that are outside of the system and I think that you'd appreciate that Francois there's a lot of uh, extra system activity happening here as well as there's the political guys doing their political thing up in, in Concord but I, I wanted to just sort of touch on um, using voting as a tool to promulgate our ideas and I, I understand where you're coming from I you know I people have told me you should run for office Ian no way in hell am I going to get involved in, in something like that uh, that's just not something I just I couldn't do it with with my principles I wouldn't want to get involved in all that bureaucracy it just no thank you uh, but nonetheless I have I've come across the anti-voting articles before I've read them and I understand them and I understand the you know the principled basis for not voting you don't want to legitimize the state or endorse it or in some way uh-huh. uh, participate in it in any way and I understand that but at the same time uh, as Lysander Spooner pointed out, it is an anonymous ballot. There's actually no real way for anyone to really prove that you did vote, even if you, uh, whether you did or not, go and vote. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why the whole thing's illegitimate in the first place. But, mm-hmm. uh, but nonetheless, course. I think that here in Keene, as Mark mentioned, there's 25,000, 30,000 people living here. A thousand people vote in the municipal elections. And that's being generous. And we could say, okay, we're principled, we're not running candidates, we're not voting, we're not doing anything like that. But then in that case, what's going to happen is what is what always happens, and that is the big government freaks will put up their candidates for office, 
They'll vote. The bureaucrats will come out and vote for themselves. They'll vote for bigger government every single time. And all the little people, all the people that really would like to live freer, that really don't like the big government but don't feel like there's anything they can do about it, they throw up their hands and they don't, they don't bother turning out to the polls either because who wants to vote for big government candidate A versus big government candidate B? So what mm-hmm. we're doing here is we're utilizing the cloak of legitimacy to our benefit, or at least that's the plan. We're going to see how it works this year because we're trying it for the first time. But the difference between the government and any other gang of thugs is that the government, as you well know, has this sort of cloak of legitimacy, this aura of, uh, of, of legitimacy that it has to sort of shroud itself in in order for the regular folk not to realize the violence of it, the inherent violence of its actions. And so because government has to use the cloak of legitimacy, that means that we can utilize that cloak to some extent against the government. Use the, uh, the elections process to, uh, to foist candidates out, put candidates out there that are, are talking about really small government or in some cases no government whatsoever to utilize the attention that inevitably the news media will give to these candidates. And I want to hear your response to this here in a moment, so hang on. To All use right. the, uh, ca- the attention that will be given to those candidates to explain our message, to talk about how vi- uh, government is violent, to get, those, uh, to get that message out there. Why not use those channels? That's what I'd like to hear. Coming up from Francois. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. We get all kinds of neat features. We give them all away, though if you want to help support the show on a voluntary basis, then you should head over and become an amplifier at amp.freetalklive.com. Send us three bucks a month, and we will take that money in and turn it around into advertising, marketing, and promoting Free Talk Live to get the show on as many radio stations as we possibly can, thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty as far and as wide as possible. You get some perks as well, like access to the amp-only call-in line, as well as the amp-only chat room and forum. Get all the details at amp.freetalklive.com. FreeTalkLive.com. I think you'll find it pretty exciting, and it's working for us, and that means it's working for you because it's spreading freedom. Amp.FreeTalkLive.com. As we go back to uh, Francois, uh, Francois Tremblay, who is the man behind SimplyAnarchy.com, which is kind of a nice little central hub to get all sorts of neat links to uh, pro free market types materials and essays and all that sort of thing. It's, uh, Absolutely. We also have a forum, and I, I, I'm in the process of starting a new market anarchist forum for activists. Very good. So that should be interesting. So we were talking about voting, and you are pretty adamantly set against voting. You don't want to endorse the system in, in any way whatsoever. Exactly. And while I understand where you're coming from on that, I was curious as to how you would feel about what we're doing here as in the Free State, in the, as part of the Free State Project, here in Keene, where we're going to be running candidates who are principled, pro-liberty candidates, yeah. utilizing the mechanisms of the state against itself. I understand. The free, the, uh, like I told you, the Free State Project, the way I see it is uh, it's, it has the potential to provide a safe space for anti-state activities to occur because for this kind of community of people to occur, you need to have a physical safe space, if only to host, say, an, an Internet server mm-hmm. or to have actual facilities or to have neighborhoods that are disconnected from the grid, all, the, all that sort of good thing that you can get in, in the disengagement process. But you need to have some kind of safe space where you can say, you know, we can do things here and we don't run a big risk of being 
you know, right. <laughs> of being arrested and dragged to some gulag. And I can see those things happening. You talk about the neighborhoods. You talk about people getting mm-hmm. together. I can see those things happening off into the future. Not not tomorrow, but sometime within the next 5, 10, 20 years here in, in New Hampshire. Those communities are going to pop up. In fact, we know people that are, you know, investor types that are very interested in investing in something like that. So there's some pretty neat things happening on, here. It, on the other hand, I would say that there are some pretty strong negative points uh, in, in adopting that strategy. The, the first is I don't think that can work in the long term. I don't think political means have ever been able to achieve lasting freedom. If it can buy us time, uh, yes, I would think that would be a valuable uh, gain. The other thing is voting, I believe, is bad for the movement because if most people come into contact with libertarian activists through the political process, well, they'll easily come to believe that the libertarian movement is about participating in social warfare, but obviously we, that's not what we want. What yes, we but, want yeah, but Francois, they don't know it's social warfare. The people that we're contacting, the people that are coming across the libertarian message in a campaign situation, they don't understand uh, the free market. They don't understand the concepts you're talking about. They don't realize <laughs> that government is force. And so you have to understand that what we're doing is allowing those people to come into the fold at, at a certain point. They'll get a taste of our message, and then inevitably they're going to like it, because who doesn't like uh, no, this message? And they're going to move. Absolutely. they're going to move along through the process. I mean, even though we were all born uh, anarchists, we don't really figure that out until way down the line. It took me, you know, seven years to get to the uh, to get from the point of a small government person to a uh, to a free marketeer that I am today. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have some sort of uh, uh, there has to be some sort of mechanism there to allow the regular folk in the world to discover this message and to internalize it for themselves in a, in a nice, slow, uh, easy process. And and throwing putting somebody into the election is is a way to do that, uh, is a way to reach out to those people and, and some way to, to legitimize what we're doing. I'm not saying the state is legitimate, but I'm saying that people see it that way, and until we can use, use the state's cloak of legitimacy against it, then it'll be much more difficult for us to do it all outside of the system. I think that there's a, there's a significant benefit to, uh, to using the system to turn it against itself. Yes, but you have to understand there's a big difference between co-opting and using the system and working it. And that would be the main point. I don't have anything against co-opting the system. I think that's a great thing. But the problem is when you start taking it seriously. When you say that, what do you mean? What I mean is instead of seeing it as, you know, oh, the, the ruling class, you know, it's, it's like the whole Ron Paul thing. You know, I've been arguing with a lot of people on that. It's like some people's attitude is like, yeah, Ron Paul has these great ideas, and we can talk to other people about these ideas and tell them that, you know, uh, and they should join our movement, etc., which is, you know, co-opting Ron Paul's campaign. And there are other people who go like, yeah, I'm going to vote for him. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> I'm going to make signs, and I'm, I'm, I'm really – he's our only hope, you know. And I think that's, that's, not, that's not only a very absurd attitude – but to me, it's also an issue of trust, is that how much can I trust these people if the, st- if the ruling class starts waving a shiny bone at them? And, you know, previously they were all... Okay, now, hold on. Um, now, are the, are the minarchists, Francois, are the minarchists out there, and I'll use um, the term Ian does, I would just call us libertarians, but are the, are the minarchists no, out there, the people that, uh, that, that want smaller government, are they your friends? 
I, I would definitely, I mean, classify myself as part of the libertarian movement in general. Okay. Um, now, so, I mean, that's really, that's really the dividing point. So I say um, that if with, you know, if I am, you know, and I'm a minarchist, with uh, friends that don't, you know, uh, you know, political friends that don't vote and don't support um, what it is that I'm doing, I don't need friends like that. I've got plenty of enemies that don't vote and don't um, don't support. I just, you know, I mean, th- th- you're not you're not helping forward the liber- liberty movement um, with these quote unquote friends. You're um, to me, uh, you know, the market anarchists or free marketeers or whatever term you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, those people segment themselves, um, especially the ones that don't vote, segment themselves from the minarchists by you know drawing all these lines down the middle, saying, "Oh, you're unprincipled, you're bad folks." Um, and and they don't real in the process all they happen all they do is warm the air with the things they talk about and they get no nowhere because they're not willing to take steps. No, I understand absolutely. I mean, I personally certainly don't want to divide the movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that we're all we all want to work towards the same goal. The only problem is that uh, some people use methods. You know that are not really going to lead them anywhere and kind of hurt the movement, in my opinion. Now, if you are a minarchist, if you really believe in the cause of small government, what I would say is you should join our movement because political means. I mean, look, what has the Libertarian Party achieved in the last four well, years? Well, I'm not a member of the Libertarian the Party. I'm a member years. of the um, Republican Liberty Caucus, and uh, we have two members in um, Congress currently, in the United States Congress, and um, a few members... And they've done the, nothing for, for freedom. I mean, the, there's the, not... I mean, he's they right. voted the, against... The, the libertarian movement politically hasn't achieved anything in the last Listen, 30 years. He's in right the about next that. 40 years, I'll make you... I, I wouldn't make you a bit if it was possible to falsify it, but I believe that in the next 40 years, if the minarchists join us, and if the, the libertarian movement starts using the methods that have worked for all successful freedom movement in the past, I mean, we can do more in the next 40 years than the libertarian, uh, the, the libertarian party will do in 80 years. Well, one thing I understand about libertarians is you sure as hell can't get them to agree on anything. So um, it's very unlikely that, A, libertarians are going to join the, the uh, market anarchists, or B, that no, the market I'm, anarchists I'm are going to join the libertarians. You have to become a market anarchist, but you have to realize that political means, uh, you know, as a, a sort of method to use, like saying, you know, we're going to use, I'm not talking like you saying that you want to use voting in order to achieve a short or medium term objective. I'm talking people who say, you know, we need to work within the system. We need to use political means. That has right. never worked. I, on the, I, never, I agree with you on that. To bring uh, lasting freedom. Right. I agree with you. To, to look to politics as the only solution is, is, is a fool's errand. It's going to be a, an inevitable failure. I disagree. And, uh, well, <laughs> I'm not saying if you're a minarchist, you should you should accept a, you know you should accept what I believe in or whatever. That's no, no, I, 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 and believe me, Ian and I have the same fight every night of the week. Um, it's just that we're we're talking specifically, I guess, about voting. So you, all, all I want for all libertarians to realize is that political means have not worked and political means will never work. Can you right? give me some examples of that? Cause, um, Look at the last 35 years. It's been compl- the Libertarian Party has been completely ineffective. Uh, the, the government's been getting more totalitarian. The fact is, and you've agreed with me on this, Mark, and it's surprising that you're disagreeing with me now, you've agreed with me that uh, it's going to take a combination of civil disobedience and politics and working outside the system. It's all going to have to work together in order for something to really change, to go and just keep voting and hope that's going to make a difference. 
I don't think it will. I'm with Francois on that one. And Francois, we are out of time, but it's been great having you on the show. And, and thank you very much. And I would like to point out that I have a book called "But Who Will Build the Roads: Market Anarchy." Explained. And people can visit you online at simplyanarchy.com. Hour two is coming up. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into hour number two of the show, and you can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are for free, so enjoy those on us. That is freetalklive.com. Rolling right into the calls. Let's go to Tom in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Tom. Hi. There was a ballot question back in November of 2002 on in Nevada on whether or not to re-legalize marijuana. Yeah, it came, it came very close, as I recall. What was it, 46% or something in favor of it? Uh, 27%. Hmm. Uh, and you know what you call that when they have such a ballot question? No, what? You call that a referendum. Uh-huh, that's cute. <laughs> uh, where's my rim shot? <laughs> the, the three ways that our side can win on that point is a high court, a joint session, or a referendum. Mm-hmm. How, okay, now, should we accept the outcome? Somebody, You just had somebody on there talking about voting, legitimizing the process. Well, not if you voted correctly. You, you totally reject these idiots who say, well, you elected those people uh, as if they were peeking at your ballot and somehow know who you voted for. Yeah, I didn't you, elect any of these people. I'd like to point that out. Yeah. Let me point out something else. There was one way that uh, our side could have won. And that is to tell all those fat, stupid, ugly old ladies, see this ballot, see this question here. Now, if you shut off your idiot switch, then you will know that the correct way to vote on that is yes. But you don't have to agree with us. You just have to refrain from voting against it, because if the referendum doesn't pass, then a whole lot of cops all over Nevada are going to be slaughtered on election night. And that would have infuriated them, but they would have been so scared of waking up the next morning without a police department that they would have swallowed up all their stupidity and shut off their idiot switches for a few seconds there, just long enough to vote Are you going to call every single night to debate this with us, Tom? I don't don't think that that's that's really going to be true. I don't think that uh, the average citizen, uh, the little old lady that you're talking about, is really going to be concerned if a cop, if a, if a cop is uh, facing a bullet. I don't think that's a very big concern of that. The cop may be very concerned, but not the little old lady. Well, the little old ladies, they're the cop lovers, and so are members of the legislature. She's just going to think you're a, ra- a ranting lunatic, Tom, and you know I wouldn't blame her for thinking that. I mean, how likely is it that anything like that's ever going to happen? Not bloody likely. Come on. If it's a credible threat, a credible threat that they're going to have a whole lot of cops slaughtered, especially the legislators don't want that because the state capitol building is a breeding ground for cop lovers. The place is crawling with cops that are respectful to the members. We talked to you about this all week long, about you keep kidding on the air and agitating for violence against the state. And we'll keep rebutting you every single time, Tom, because uh, we certainly don't support that here. But as you've already pointed out, your 
you personally have admitted to be too cowardly to actually take any of the actions yourself. So you're just getting on the air and doing essentially what a federal agent does, as some of our listeners have pointed out. I personally don't think that you are a federal agent, but this is typically the uh, the way feds behave: is they get on uh, they get on message boards around the internet and they agitate for people to be violent against the state because they know what will happen. If somebody gets violence against this, uh, violent against the state, they'll have the state's violence turned back around against them and they'll be eliminated. But, you know, it doesn't take as much, uh, I guess, courage to call, uh, to call in threats, Tom. So, I mean, why don't you go ahead and do that? Well, here's the thing. Uh, they're doing the Revolutionary War and the war between the states and the Mexican-American War. You had the combatants, you had the politicians, and the newspaper editors who were just going on calling it as they see it here's what i think and that they're influencing public opinion and uh you know they think that armed resistance will tell people it will remind them how the government gets away with violating the no. rights of the people it, it won't by do hiring that, Tom. these gun-toting goons no. No, what it'll do is it'll it'll galvanize the people against whoever it is that's attacking their hero cops because most of the public loves the police. They turn out for the little police parades whenever a cop gets killed, and it's just going to make you and whoever it is that's supporting your side look like a bunch of crackpots. That's what They're you, already that's galvanized what you're looking against like to, that, us anyway. There's nothing to lose. They're already totally galvanized against us. Oh, yes, us. there's plenty the to lose. There's plenty We're, to lose. We've we've been wor- building the libertarian movement for for decades now, and it's finally just starting to really take hold with the advent of the internet. And you just want to throw it all away by getting violent, which of course you actually said you won't do. So thank goodness we aren't we don't actually have to be concerned about that. But nonetheless, you've managed to call Free Talk Live every single night this week and and agitate uh, for this one way or the other. You managed not to Sunday night. <laughs> That's cute, Tom. Yeah, Thanks for the gosh. call. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Come on, I mean. You can't just be this one-issue pony. Give me something else, okay? Because I'm getting tired of it. 800-259-9231. We don't, I don't think we really need to rehash the same issue night after night. I understand it's talk radio. Free Talk Live inevitably comes around to talk about the same issues sometime in the future. You, it's, that's just how talk radio works. This, there's only so many issues you can talk about, and inevitably one of them is going to come up again. But every and- single night talking about and opposing violent revolution. It's not time for that. And it's not going to be time for that for a long, long time. Right. Hopefully and, it'll never get to that point. And, you know, it's it, it's never going to be the position of this uh, radio show, and it's certainly not going to be the position of the radio stations that air this show, um, that, you know, violent revolution's a good idea. So it, it sort of defeats the whole uh, purpose of the show. If you think Free Talk Live's a good thing, that we're um, spreading the message of liberty then you're defeating that by getting on here and advocating for violent revolution. Mm-hmm. If, if you want liberty, to, um, if you want Free Talk Live to be any portion um, of you know, spreading the word of liberty, you need to n- not advocate for violent revolution on the air. Right. We're about changing things on a voluntary basis, getting people to, to come to understand our positions, to understand the principle behind liberty and, you know, the non non-initiation right. of force. Right. And, and non-aggression. And that's really the, the, the whole concept of um, the libertarian movement is to not initiate force. Now, I'm not saying, you know, Tom's not talking about initiate, initiating force. He's talking about using force in reaction to what the cops have done. But most people are going to view it as um, initiating force. Yeah, but force. He was, it, tonight he was talking about threatening them. 
Mm-hmm. But that's still an initiation right. force. So, but, but, so he is talking about initiating force. He's talking about, okay, there's a vote no. for marijuana coming up. You call all the cops and you threaten them. Or you you, you know tell the old ladies working the polls. That, I could argue <laughs> the opposite side of what Tom's saying. I understand the position he's... I understand the frustrations that he has. I'm simply saying it doesn't serve. He is not going to get what he wants by coming on to Free Talk Live and advocating right. all it makes all, it, all he's getting is people to think that he's a wild-eyed madman. And as far as I'm concerned, that's what he is. I don't know. He may be the he may be a really nice guy sure in is. person. He's probably a really nice um, guy and uh, probably not as I don't know. Mm, he he won't come out and say things like I wouldn't guess he would come out and say something like that in person. It's easy to say things like that when you can hide behind your telephone from this you know the secrecy of your house on some anonymous you know being essentially anonymous on a radio show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's easy to do that, but to actually come out and do the things he's suggesting really is going to make you um, into a madman. I mean, whether or not you're you are mad or not, I don't know. Um, but that's the way people are going to see you. I personally don't want to be seen as being associated with people like that. Yeah. And that's what ha- here. there was uh, somebody that was actually banned from the New Hampshire, uh, the NHFree.com forums. And Tom was one of these people. There's been a handful of people that have been banned from forum.nhfree.com, which is a, a website dedicated to promoting activism here in the state. And the reason they were banned is because these individuals continued to agitate for violence against the state. And so recently, Kat Canning, the uh, the administrator of the board, had banned somebody else for doing that. She'd given them the opportunity, said, hey, calm down. You know, we don't want this kind of talk on our forum here. We don't we don't want the attention that that sort of talk attracts. Right. When you um, when when that comes around, when, you know, when the federal agents happen to be looking at your blog and there's people right. on there advocating for the, um, you know, violence against the authorities. But that that, that paints the whole group with a terrible brush. Right, even though it shouldn't, that you're right, that's the way it ends up. So she gave the guy plenty of warnings, he continued to persist, and so he got banned. And now some of the libertarians on that board are getting all uppity about it. They're getting all, oh, this is censorship, this is, ce- this is a public board. Well, no it's not. It's a private forum that's open to the public, just like the Free Talk Live BBS is. Start your own board. Right, go out and start your own board and talk about blowing stuff up if you want. That's what turns you on. But as far as I'm concerned, if Tom continues to call about that topic, I'll label him as a Fed from here on out. Because that's the ta- that is the tactic of Feds. Feds do that sort of thing. They try to agitate liberty lovers into uh, being so angry that they'll actually go out and, and do something violent, so the Feds will have an excuse to crack their heads in. 800-259-9231. Mike's on the line in California. He wants to talk about voting. Your calls as well about whatever's on your mind. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. Join us online, freetalklive.com. The wiki's there, over 1,350 pages, created by listeners just like you. It's like the listener-editable version of our website. See what I mean? By heading over to wiki.freetalklive.com. That's W-I-K-I, wiki.freetalklive.com. SACL CAI has a full-orbed approach to account recovery. It's really three companies in one. They do collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. Their staff is respectful, they record every call, and they have the best equipment money can buy, so that your business is handled as efficiently as possible. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. Let's go to the phones and to the fun, the amplifier line, and Mike in California. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Mike. Hey guys, how you doing? What's on your mind? 
Uh, I wanted to speak on um, Francois' position of not participating in the political process. Okay. And it's a position that Stefan Molyneux of uh, Free Domain Radio also holds. Yes. And I don't, uh, I, I don't, I, I see not participating in the illegitimate and evil system that does exist as dangerous. Uh, if we don't vote, that does not mean that it will fade away and disappear. If, in fact, um, anarchists can convince, let's say, 90% of the population to not participate, still there are people who are going to vote, and that, and those few people, the remaining 10%, would be those who are who you couldn't convince. They are less apt to uh, understand freedom. Right, so they're they the bureaucrats. They're the bureaucrats and the welfare recipients who will turn out every single time to vote in favor of more bureaucracy. And, and other government. just other authoritarians in general. There's plenty of them out there that believe right. that the, the right. problems are going to be solved by the government. And let's say you could convince 99.99999% of the population uh, to not participate. Hell, let's, let's say you convinced everyone to not participate in the political process, except for the one person who thinks it's, it's the right thing to do. He votes for himself, he's in charge, he's now a dictator. Well, I mean, okay. that's the way the, the evil system that exists works. Right. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with it. And that's why I support voting, reluctantly. I support it because I realize it's, it's, it's something realistic that we have to do to help pr- uh, promote our message. However, I think that Francois would, would agree with you in that he understands that even if 90-something percent of the people stopped voting, that the bureaucrats would still continue perpetuating the system. However, I think what he's trying to do, and I think it's kind of – I think he's – I don't know. I don't, I don't know how effective he's going to be at it. I don't think very. But I think he's trying to recruit as many people to his side, uh, to his side, to sort of all opt out of the system all at the same time, basically, and uh, and and essentially, you know, group together and stand together against whatever the government tries to throw at them, and make a you know make a stand and and spread their message that way. I don't know how effective that's going to be. Personally, I don't think very much so. I think, it, I think it's going to require uh, people on all fronts. I think it's going to require that sort of activism in addition to the political activism, in addition to the civil disobedience. I think it's going to, it's going to have to happen from a variety of different fronts, personally. I agree. I think, but I think that the, using the current system against itself, as we're doing, and the activism and the education and other people not participating all need to happen simultaneously. We have to hit the problem from all angles. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I to, I think I to, to discount I think to discount any one of those things is a little bit I think it's a little bit short sighted because there are certainly plenty of political people that think that the civil dis oh the civil disobedience guys are making us look bad oh no they're ruining it for the rest of us I mean that's yeah. the attitude we get from them uh, some of them and then some of them like uh, Dennis who's one of our greatest uh, biggest supporters and uh, a huge activist here in New Hampshire he understands that it's going to require both he understands that the civil disobedience side is going to draw attention to certain issues which then the political guys can go ahead and, and use that attention as an excuse to you know introduce legislation, reducing the size of government on those particular issues, and that sort of thing. I think that there's going to be a, uh, a little harmony that's going to come about between the two groups if they can stop bickering for long enough. Right, and I've also heard it said by the people who hold this position that uh, if you vote, uh, you know, if you vote for Ron Paul, then he won't know that you're, you're voting for nine of his policies, but not for immigration. So your vote essentially counts for immigration. Mm. No, I disagree with that because you can never, you know, with, with any other human being, you can never have 100% of the same values. 
Right. But I, I also wanted to point out that they say that um, when you, uh, when you, if you vote, you, uh, you can't. Uh, I'm sorry. If you vote, other people see you that see that as legitimizing the current evil system, and that may be. But that does not preclude you from educating them, saying, no, I'm only voting to lessen government, to weaken it so that we can destroy it. We're, we're sure. only taking small hacks. We're only going one step at a time. And we're the not. fact is, other people don't see it that way. The only and people that see it that way are people like Francois. And I don't have the... I, I as a libertarian, um, a, you know, a minarchist, whatever term you want to use, I don't have the desire to destroy the government. I just want to get it so small that it would be easy to do so if that was what our choice, uh, our, you know, our choice was. Um, and you increase by probably tenfold the amount of people on your side when you side up with um, when when the uh, you know the anarcho capitalists side up with the libertarians. There's probably ten. It's probably ten to one, if not a hundred to one, out there. As far as yeah, libertarians to anarcho capitalists, that's, that's right. If uh, if minarchists and anarchists have uh, at least to follow the same path for a while, they have different end goals, but this same path will help both of them. Absolutely. We definitely need to work together. Mike, any final thoughts? No, thanks for the Thanks for, for the, the show call. Tonight. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. It's going to take efforts on both sides, outside of the system and inside the system. I, I think it's I think it's silly to ignore one or the other or, or, or both of those things. And, you know, one thing's for sure, you can sit at home and do nothing and right. feel good about yourself. But and it's not helping us. as a result. Right. It's not helping us out. Now, there's people all around the country that are not participating, and what good are they? What good are they doing? They're making themselves feel good, I guess. You but... know, and worst case scenario, if the uh, the, the anarcho-capitalists work with the uh, minarchists out there, is that we get some lower tax. You know, a, a, a case scenario. I guess not the worst case scenario. A case scenario is we get lower taxes and fewer people get thrown in jail for um, smoking marijuana. Wouldn't that be good? It'd be a step in the right direction. And, you know, for the principled uh, anarcho-capitalist, a vote for Ron Paul is a compromised vote. But on the other hand, who else are you going to vote for? If you're going to vote, you, I, I would think you should vote for Ron Paul at this point. Uh, it, it seems it seems to make sense to me. And as far right. as the immigration issue is concerned, I'll let Ron Paul know when we finally get him on the show. I'll tell him personally that, hey, I'm not endorsing your immigration policy. I just want to let you know I'll vote for you, but I don't want to see any sort of crack, police state crackdown. And, you know, I, I would agree with you that Ron Paul is probably the uh, the candidate for the people that believe in small government right now. It, it appears as though the Democrat, Mike Gravel, um, isn't getting any traction. The only place where he's getting any mentions is here. Mm. So um, I looked at his website, and I agree with most of the things he says, just like Ron Paul. But really? He's, yeah. I, I, from what I saw, he was uh, all for government regulation of drugs and that sort of thing. And it, it was uh, now he, he when, I mean, when I he didn't look says at his that websites, so you know more than I do. He's looking at uh, he's looking for you know rather than uh, sending people to prison, he's looking for treatment. I think that's a superior to what we've got now. It's certainly superior to any of the other Democrats. That's for sure. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one is the SACL CAI toll free line for you. You can take control of the airwaves. Bruce is going to do that in California, Adam in Texas, and your calls about whatever's on your mind. If you are a lady, you get put to the front of the line. Ladies first on Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. This is your show. You take control. Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. (laughs) 
This is Free Talk Live. You can take control and bring up whatever you want toll-free at 800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site completely free, including the updates. You get signed up, we clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. You'll know first if you're on the updates list, and you can get on it by going to updates.freetalklive.com. That's updates.freetalklive.com as we go to the phones and talk to Bruce in California. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What's on your mind? Well, I was thinking, as the economy collapses and... Are you talking right into your phone, Bruce? kind of hard to hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. There you go. Yeah, that's a lot better. I'm thinking, as the economy collapses and the ecological problems kind of exacerbate themselves and a food shortage, you know, with the present water wars going on, I see that time's kind of running out for the people who are kind of pulling the strings, you know, the ruling class. And, and I think that they're trying to engineer a crash so that they can institute a rapid police policy and, and enforcement of the meager resources and whatever while they do their potential culling of people. And what I'm, I'm thinking now, you have a previous caller talking about some kind of spontaneous resistance, which would just actually, and you're right about that, call in the uh, the armament. And people, I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a series of escalating Waco situations. It's, oh, areas that are trying to band together to combat, like let's say the New Orleans disaster when they... Army's 82nd Airborne, I believe, came in to take the guns away. People are going to try to hold on to stuff and actually fire back. And you might get a, like, as all these situations under the railroads, are, you know, the, the infrastructure also in this nation is about yeah. ready to collapse, too. So as this all this happens and collapses, I think it's just going to be, like, premature for the ruling class as it's happening too fast. Now, this is a tricky situation. I mean, to, to talk about the appropriate point at which violent response is is okay. It's yeah, very get... difficult to do, but I think that you know, if there really is this sort of police state immediate crackdown, confiscation of weapons, at that point, then it might just be game on. Well, uh, that's at what that I was point. talking about. Self-defense is is the the, the primary uh, thing about being a human being. You know, uh, farm animals they don't have self-defense because they're they're raised for that. You know, we have to decide whether we're farm animals or whether we're human beings at one point. You know, there are lines that are drawn in the sand, and people remember situations like Waco and how they burnt those people alive for, you know, no reason whatsoever, as far as I can tell, legally or morally. Well, the reason was to show how strong the state was, to uh, yeah, flex their muscle. Yeah, there was act of terrorism, you know, like, it was like the move bombing, you know, and it was like the, oh gosh, Ruby Ridge, any number of those things, or, or Pine Ridge, you know, they just slaughter people, but it, it became like more of an outrage. People remember that, and they're going to say, well, what do I have to lose? And I think at that point, when you have, like, a lot of little fires going, that is when the, 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 the resistance, the actual, what this guy was talking about, which is, like, oh, another thing, you can always tell that the feds are the ones that give you the dynamite and they advocate for violence, you know. Mm-hmm. So just as, you know, kind of a side note, but these sort of things will kind of, like, escalate to the point where I believe that there are enough people that, still have arms that buried away or have remember their rights that their grandfathers used to talk about and stuff, they're going to fight for them. And at that well, point, you know what happens. I mean, history shows really scary stuff starts to happen once the population's been disarmed. So Yeah, it's I, like the rule of the shotgun. You know, like the who, uh, who's, ne- you know, the, the, the shotgun sings its song, you know. 
Bruce, thank you for the call, man. We appreciate hearing from you. Mark, you sounded like you might have wanted to comment on that. No, I was just chuckling about the shotgun singing at the song. I've never heard anything like that. Oh, okay. You weren't a Who, a who fan growing up? Uh, I, I, no, the Who's a little old for me, too. Really, for you? Okay. 800-259-9231. you got a decade on me, old man. 1-800-259-9231. So, you know, that's so tricky. And... I mean, you, how do you know when the right time is to actually defend your freedom with firearms? That is such a tricky question. I, I think that you just would have to know it when the time is. I don't know. First off, I know that I, when it comes to things like that, I'm, I'm too. I, I don't want to get involved. I'm too cowardly. I don't want to have to fight. Nobody the, does. I don't either. The, no, nobody does. The authorities. So uh, I believe in getting involved in the system and preempting but, that fight. Right. But what if you know? What if what Bruce says? Does come down the pike. What if well, there's you know, some about, sort of police state crackdown just, where people are getting uh, publicly I don't abused that, by the cops? I don't think that'll happen guns in here in New Hampshire, and that's one of the reasons I moved here. Good point. Um, in fact, didn't they pass a... Wasn't there some sort of resolution passed after, uh, after yeah, the New Orleans disarm, thing? That, they can't disarm somebody. That in New somebody. Hampshire they cannot disarm right. the, uh, the people. Mm-hmm. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. But then again, you'd think the Second Amendment and, would have been good enough to prevent that from happening anywhere else. And, and as far wasn't. as I'm concerned, if people um, haven't joined the Free State Project, haven't moved to New Hampshire, um, they're just like the people that are outside the United States that are dealing with dictators um, around the world. I just, you know, they get sorry, the government they deserve. I can't, I can't help them. Yeah. You know, if if you want help, I'm trying. I'm working right now to um, make a freer state. You can come here and help me, and I'll help you when the time comes. Well, if you're going to stay out there, I can't. Uh, to, to counter what Bruce had said, look what's going on right here in New Hampshire. You've got the Ed Brown situation, where Ed Brown and his wife Elaine are holed up in their house in Plainfield. They've been convicted, so-called, of tax evasion, and the government wants to put them in jail. These are people in their 60s. The government wants to put them in jail for five to five years and then three years probation after that, take their house, take their business, uh, essentially impoverish them. And Ed Brown has said, look, I haven't hurt anybody. Um, I'm not going to jail you try to come and get me, I'm going to shoot back. And they haven't tried to come and get him. He's been sitting up in his house since the wintertime, and they haven't made a move. Well, the government they knows know they got a lot of bad PR for the, right. the Waco thing and the Ruby Ridge thing, and I, they want to avoid that in the future, and I think that's good. There's been pre- That means there's been pressure put on the government to act nice, and uh, I hope it works out for them. Right, and he's had a lot of, I think, support from a lot of Free State Project members who have... They may not necessarily agree. Some of them are pacifists. Some of them are not. But uh, he, nonetheless, he's been getting support from a variety of different people. And I wonder what been like. I wonder what Ed Brown's situation would be like if he lived in Tampa, Florida. Would the, would the uh, situation be a little bit different? I think it might. I think it would too. Uh, because there is uh, there is a certain culture of liberty up here in New Hampshire that I don't think the rest of the country has. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Adam in let's see Texas. You're on the amplifier line. Hey Adam. Hey guys, I wanted to talk about a couple things, but first I wanted to comment on a show a couple of days ago from Tuesday. Yeah. I'm a little behind, I'm a podcaster, but uh, you had a caller call in that was talking about unilateral and bilateral contracts, and uh, basically his, you know, his point was that the Constitution in general and our, our contract with the government is a unilateral contract, but I think where, where the argument went awry is is I think when when you conceded that there is such a thing as a unilateral contract, I mean, really, logically speaking, there is no such thing as a unilateral contract. 
Well, I mean, opinion. I didn't really. Uh, I just was sort of taking what he said I, as as at face value. Um, the way I understood his description was right. that the unilateral contract was sounds a, like an edict was a contract that was not subject to negotiation. It was it was an offer uh, that was that was made and you either take it or leave it. Whereas a bilateral contract was one where you get in and you negotiate the uh, the, the terms of the agreement, like a cell phone plan or something like that. A, a unilateral example of his unilateral contract would have been a cell phone plan that you go in. You don't get to go in there and negotiate a rate with a cell phone company. But if we are engaging in a uh, in a contract between you and I, Adam, for whatever services I want to contract you for, then we can negotiate. Uh, you're saying that that's just not um, that that's an inaccurate definition. Uh, it's illogical. I mean, even with the cell phone company, they provide something, and I provide something in return. I mean, there's always there's always two sides to every contract. If not, then there's no such thing as a contract. But I don't want to take up all my time talking about that. Fair enough. Fair to enough. Kind of, uh, point that out. Um, really, one of the things I want to talk about is lately I've been. I mean, arguing a lot with all of my friends is that's that's all I seem to do these days is argue <laughs> with them about libertarian ideas, and they're all pretty much Republicans and mm. right wing. But uh, what are your uh, what are the big sticking points? Well, I mean, everything. One of my friends, his big thing is the war in Iraq, and he thinks that it's you know they they have their uh, they're doing it for religious reasons, and and they're. And they want to kill us because that's that's their religion, and they're going to kill us unless we kill them first. So he's got all kinds of excuses as to why he should put the Constitution aside and just, you know, uh, be tyrannical. If you'll hang on, I want to explore this a little bit more. 800-259-9231. Talk about persuasion versus argumentation. That's an important factor here as well. It's Free Talk Live. Talk Live is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231, the SACL-CAI toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. You like the show, you want to help support us, then buy some stuff through Amazon. But enter through our website by going to amazon.freetalklive.com. When you enter through that link, Free Talk Live gets a percentage of your purchase. Now, you enter through that link, there's 41 categories for you to shop from. It's Amazon, the world's largest Internet retailer. Uh, 41 categories. Go to amazon.freetalklive.com. You add stuff to your shopping cart as you normally would. You check out as you normally would. You will not see any sort of notice saying X percent went to Free Talk Live. You won't see it. But you just have to trust us that when you enter through Amazon.freetalklive.com, we will get a cut. And the reason why you you won't see those numbers is because it's not calculated till the end of the billing cycle, the end of the month. That what they do is say they calculate the percentage that we get based on the number of items that we move. So it's not based on um, it's not based on money, not not based on total aggregate price that we move for them, but based on the total number of items. So we could get you know move. 900 little items, and we'd still move up the the tier, uh, the the different tiers that they have for us. So anyway, just wanted to explain how that sort of works, and it's it's making a difference for us. Uh, we had $1,100 in commissions in the month of March alone, which was more than we had in December and November, not combined, but in each one of those individual months, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, Amazon.freetalklive.com. Some of that money goes towards uh, you know. Continuing some of the advertising and stuff that we do for Free Talk Live. So oh, absolutely. Helps that, out. that money is going back into the show. It's it's not amp dollars per se, but it's money coming to me, and you know You're how choosing I am, to do it. I put right. my money back you, into you the spe- show. You spend almost no money on yourself, um, and uh, 
you know, you spend almost all your money on Free Talk Live that you spend money right. on. And we got big plans, so we're going to need that money in the future. 800-259-9231. Back to Adam in Texas. Adam, you were telling us that you've been uh, working on, I guess, talking with your friends about liberty, and you've got a bunch of friends that are of the Republican mindset, so they're all for the war in Iraq, and they're for this, you know, so-called war on terror. They've pretty much bought in hook, line, and sinker to the uh, Republican talking points that they likely hear on Republican talk shows and that sort of thing. And you're, you're frustrated because you've been trying to, uh, to talk to these guys about liberty, and they just don't want to hear about it. My question, I guess, um, is have you found some common areas of agreement? Are there some areas where you guys definitely get along, where they can, they can understand liberty in, in some places? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely making headway with my friends. <laughs> they're, they're all coming around um, in, in small part to the ideas of, of liberty. You know, um, everybody's got their own little thing. My mom is, is pro-anti-immigration, and, and another one of my friends is, he, he has a bunch of little things. One of them is he doesn't like the fact that people can smoke in bars, and we've argued about that. Mm-hmm. The Stone Phillips thing where they bust the child predators, we've argued about that. And, um, there's a bunch of little things, but the, the, point I was, the point I was getting to is that I've, I've been able to, I mean, recently I started thinking about a way that I can talk to them about these things, and I kind of came, I mean, it's really simple, and it's, and it's kind of stupid, but I kind of came up with a little scenario that sort of works in every situation. You could call it the rule of five. Um, I just uh, ask them to imagine, suppose there was you and four other people living together and X situation popped up. Um, what would you do with you and four other people living together? For example, person one owns a bar and he wants to let person two smoke in the bar, person two wants to smoke in the bar, but person three, four, and five want to go to the bar and they don't want smoke. Well, if you're if you find yourself in the position of persons three, four, and five, a majority, and you don't want people to smoke in that bar, what are you gonna to do to person one? Mm. Are you gonna go are you gonna go shut him down? Are you gonna take his bar away? Are you yeah, gonna put that's, him in jail? That's a, are you gonna put a gun to his head? What right. Are you that's do? a nice way to, to, to approach it and it and it reminds me of something I was listening to our friend Mark Stevens from Adventures in Legaland dot com. The way he sort of phrased that was, Well, what level of violence is acceptable to uh to get them to behave in the way that you want them to? Uh, and that's you know puts the really the, puts the ball in their court to say oh my gosh you know I don't certainly don't want to point guns at my friend you know how oh, do they exactly. answer that? When, I think when you break it down on a small enough level like that, say there's five people living together, it's you and four other people. How would you handle these problems? Are you going to put a gun to their face? Are you going to take away their business? Are you going to take away their home if they don't pay their property taxes? Are mm-hmm. you going and and most of the time the answer is no. And I found that that's a pretty easy way to get people to. See what I think. You know, it, you. it seems like people don't want to take responsibility, though, for um, their for participation violence? for their participation in government, and therefore their endorsement of violence. Um, they, they'll, right, they'd rather pretend that it doesn't to, exist. They'll try to sh- shrug off that whole thing. Well, we just put laws in oh, place. Yeah. It's those people who break them, and we have to have cops to enforce them. And they're, you know, a, oh, yeah. it, more more violence has been committed with a pencil and a ballot box than yeah. than any amount of guns that's ever existed. Sure, it's easy to. 
It's easy to separate yourself from the violence when you're not the one that actually has to club someone over the head or point point weapons at people. Uh-huh. And so getting it, uh, making it more personal, I think, is, a, is an important tactic. And I think it's also good that you're asking questions of your friends as well, getting them to think. Because when you ask questions, people think. When you make de- declarative statements, people think of, uh, of objections. They think of things that they can say back to you. But when you're asking questions, then they have to really sort of mull it over. And, and, and these things take time. This sort of goes back to what we discussed last night. Adam, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. But this whole thing is a process. I mentioned earlier in the show that it took me at least seven years to get to where I am today. And I didn't have people like, I guess I didn't have people like Adam around sort of prompting me and asking me uh, leading questions. I just sort of had to explore it on my own. So who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe that sort of thing can fast track people. Maybe they'll get here in three years instead of seven. I don't know. But asking questions. Maybe in another seven years you'll come back down to earth. Hmm. Asking questions is uh, is certainly critical, and uh, and I recommended it last night. I'll recommend it again. Theadvocates.org, the Advocates for Self Government, great organization dedicated to helping libertarians and liberty more uh, minded people better communicate their ideas to their friends and family members and total strangers. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Let's talk to Joseph in Louisiana. You're on Free Talk Live. Hey, Joseph. Good evening, folks. Good evening. What's on your mind? Okay. Um. I've been hearing lately about how the how the economy has been slowing down, um, how prices have been going up, how certain things is like it's, it's like I'll hear I'll hear people complain about it because I work in a convenience store. I'll mm-hmm. get some I'll get some of these complaints right out front, or they'll just like kind of slip the complaint under the table, and it's like, okay, yeah, I get you, but um, most of the time it's like they'll complain about it. And then not do anything about it. Oh, sure. It's easy to complain. And then um, I'm hearing all these great ideas on the radio about how to handle these situations, and nobody's doing them. It's like, do you all even know what a radio is? Well, when you say some ideas, what, what do you mean? Okay, well, um, well, if I remember correctly, Republicans were saying drive around less. Well, I mean, yeah, if you if you cut down some of your driving around, I'm pretty sure that would help. I mean, if you don't have to, if you don't, if it's a trip that's not necessary, like, say, a trip to the movies, you can maybe save that for, like, one specific weekend a month where, where the whole family can go together and see whatever movie they well, want. Well, that's going to happen anyway. Market forces are going to result in that occurring. People are, you know, they're going to consciously make the decision to drive less. As gas prices go up, inevitably people that are uh, are on limited income are going to have to uh, come up with right. other if, options. Right. If they went to $20 a gallon, you can be sure people would, would start thinking about where it is they're going. Um, you know, the, the slow increase just causes people to more slowly make those decisions. And it gives them more opportunities to complain, which you're right. I mean, people in America love to complain. There's always something to offend them there's always something to be outraged about but when the when you know the day is done they go home sit back on the couch crack open some brewskis and you know they do it all again the next day they they don't do anything significantly different with their lives to uh, and, and picking up the phone and calling a politician certainly doesn't count but uh, most people you're right they're uh, they're useless in that way yeah it's, it's it's a bit of an eternal circle that hopefully one day will break um, I think the I know, critical I know factor, uh, Joseph, is there has to be something that really affects them personally to push them over the edge, the straw hitting the camel's back, so to speak. I know um, I know. for us, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a challenge between car insurance and gas each month, uh, let alone the rest of the bills as well as the groceries. So it's like, okay, we'll set aside 
X amount a month for trips out of town, mm-hmm. and then we'll set aside X amount a month for gas. And if we don't have enough to cover the trips out of town, we'll just put all of it in the gas and say, okay, done deal. Good, you and know, then good we'll for just you. Go to work. Good for you to even budget yourself. There are so many Americans that don't even have the uh, fiscal responsibility to do that. Uh, <laughs> they don't understand it. They live hand to mouth. They live paycheck to paycheck. And then when they finally get if to... things don't meet, it's somebody else's fault. Yeah. Thank you for the call, Joseph. We appreciate it. And then they can just go and get on welfare. Ugh. What a system we have. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Hour number three is on the way. There's an interview with the man behind LouRockwell.com that I found pretty interesting. Mm. And if we get a chance, we'll talk about Ron Paul because there's been some analysis of some of the Internet appearances or some of the Internet popularity that he's had. And looks like it's pretty legitimate. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. We're launching into hour number three. And you can take control of the airwaves. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us online. At freetalklive.com, all of the features on the site are completely free, so enjoy those on us. That again, freetalklive.com. So, uh, coming up here this hour, I would like to talk a little bit about Ron Paul, but first, we're going to talk about Lou Rockwell and what he thinks about the whole Ron Paul situation. Now, in case you don't know, Lou Rockwell is the man behind lourockwell.com. That's L-E-W Rockwell.com. And he is the president of the Ludwig von Mises Institute in Auburn, Alabama. Uh, in, you know, well He's a well-established man in the sort of libertarian movement. Mm-hmm. And he was being interviewed by uh, Kenny Johnson for the Liberal Post with uh, several questions about being a libertarian and voting. And Ron Paul, I think, is, is mentioned in this, in this story. And it's interesting because Lou Rockwell has has a pretty good habit of publishing Ron Paul's articles. When you go to LouRockwell.com, Ron Paul right there on the front page most of the time. If if Ron Paul puts an article out, I'd say chances are 99% that it's going to end up on LouRockwell.com, which is why I was kind of surprised that he answered the questions about Ron Paul in the way he does, as you'll find out here in a moment. Okay. Uh, the qu- first question is, do you consider yourself a libertarian? And Rockwell responds, most certainly. What are the choices? Conservative is obviously out, even though the media describes us in this way. The term's heritage dates back to the Tory party in Britain, the very mercantilist landowners who resisted change in the corn laws. This group opposed capitalism as socially destabilizing. They didn't like the merchant class making more money than the old families, meaning that they didn't want to lose their privileges. In the U.S., the term conservative came about after World War II. It had no meaning, really, other than to refer to the general desire to be prudent in public affairs, in contrast to the revolutionary tendencies of the left. The problem is that it amounted to a defense of the status quo. And after and, and still pretty much is that. Conservatism is the de- defense of the status quo. Well, well, now, come on. You mean in theory, because they certainly are prob- they're, uh, they're promoting the status quo and they're in- enlarging it and expanding it. I mean, the right. conservatives well, right. No, of no, today. No, no. Well, right. Essentially, whatever the Democrats do to increase the size of government, the conservatives then come along and, um, pr- and, and defend that status quo. Conservatives don't want to shrink the size of government. They want to 
uh, you know, keep it right where it is, except when and it comes add to, to it. Except when it comes to uh, moral issues, in which case they want to, you know, bring the hammer of the government down on gambling and, uh, you know, pornography and those kind of right. things. The problem is it amounted to the defense of the status quo, and after Buckley, it was irretrievably wrapped up in the Cold War cause. Lou Rockwell says, I like the term liberal since genuine liberalism is our heritage. It was their insight that society is self-managing, and this is the greatest political idea ever advanced in human history. But there are two problems here. The first is that the term was hijacked by socialists during the progressive era, and especially after the New Deal, when liberals finally sold out to the state. The second is more obscure, but it is important. Even the good kind of liberalism was very much bound up with Republican theory, that you could have a government made up of the people rather than the elites. This error, which is really utopian, led to a commitment to government as an essential institution. Advances in, an eco- in economics and political philosophy since that time have shown that this is a misnomer. There's no way to keep the government in check, since by definition it is guilty of committing the very aggressions it's supposedly designed to keep at bay, namely theft, murder, counterfeiting, kidnapping, and the like. And in case you are finding this shocking, he's absolutely right. Uh, Government, in theory, is supposed to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or property. Uh, But in order to do that job, in order to perform that task, it has to infringe upon life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So it's the ultimate uh, paradox, uh, the ultimate in irony. Well, one might argue that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness uh, would be uh, threatened without the government. Hmm. Okay, that's fine. Uh, So the liberal critique of the state just wasn't radical enough, says Lou. There are other options, such as the term I once used, paleo-libertarian, which refers to libertarianism before the movement emerged to institutionalize it as an ideological wing of the state's political apparatus, as in the Libertarian Party. The term was designed to address a very serious problem that libertarians in Washington had come to see themselves as a pleading pressure group hoping to find market-based solutions to public policy problems but within public policy, and thus they do support school vouchers, limited wars, managed trade, forced savings as an alternative to Social Security, and the like. Unfortunately, the term paleo-libertarian became confused because of its association with paleo-conservative, so it came to mean some sort of socially conservative libertarian, which wasn't the point at all. Although the attempted definition of libertarian as necessarily socially leftist is a problem, too. There are other strange terms bandied about from time to time, but in the end, I think we have to be happy with the term libertarian, while knowing that politics tends to taint all word usage issues. What is a libertarian? It's a person who believes in the absolute right of private property ownership. All else follows from that one proposition. You know, what he's sort of going through there is an issue that libertarians have debated for years, and that is, what should we call ourselves? Is libertarian the right term? Is there a better term for uh, than libertarian? You know, liber- libertyist, or I don't know. I mean, I've, the, the debate has gone on right. and on. You know, I've, I've said that I wasn't going to use the term anymore um, in the past, and you know, shied away from it simply because a lot of people don't like the term libertarian. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's there was a poll that was done essentially. If you asked uh, the American, I, I think it was a Gallup poll. I can't remember which uh, who did the poll, but uh, and I'm going to try to get close on the numbers here. But essentially, there was a 15 percent disparity when you changed it from um, you know, are you socially would you consider yourself to be socially liberal and fiscally conservative? And then you change that statement to, would you consider yourself to be socially liberal and fiscally conservative like a libertarian? 
You added yeah. the term, the words, like a libertarian to it, and 15% of the people dropped off. Right. Wasn't it 17% that, it's, that had said, yes, I consider myself Oh, I thought it was more than that. Was it? I don't know. Pulling numbers out of my butt. Anyway, uh, the interviewer asks, well, your so- slogan on LewRockwell.com is anti- anti-war, anti-state, pro-market. How do you define anti-state? Rockwell says, to be anti-state is to hold the intellectual position that there is nothing that society needs that the state can do better than the market. If you hold that view, you are anti-state. So in some ways, to say anti-war, anti-state, and pro-market is to propose redundancies of the same idea. Mm -hmm. I would defend the anti-state idea in every aspect of human life. The market is better in schools, energy, food, housing, charity, trade, consumer protection, justice, security, and even international relations. I know of no exceptions. The major burden of all the editorial that a work that I do is to make this point again and again. Does it grow wary? Not in any way. The number one central ubiquitous problem of our time and all time is the state. Whenever a criminal band manages to bamboozle the public that it alone should be granted the legal right to aggress on others, there is a problem that needs to be uprooted. The struggle for free, uh, for freedom is precisely this and no other. I love how, I love how he just uh, just throws it right out there. Well, this is it. It's the state versus freedom. The state is the enemy of liberty, and it it needs to be opposed in in whatever way we can possibly oppose it. Well, I'm not sure I entirely agree. I mean, that's it, right. You believe that a criminal gang can somehow do some good. Okay, criminal gang. I think that the um that that people I didn't would expect be a you lot, to agree. A lot happier with the government if it was back within its constitutional bounds. Sure. I mean. A criminal and, gang that isn't busting as many heads as it is today is a better criminal gang than the other one. And and crackpots like you, with your your attitudes, would then be relegated to the way to the sidelines. No, you wouldn't get any credence because the government would be so small. People like me aren't getting credence today anyway, Mark. <laughs> You're getting some. I'm the only one with a nationally syndicated radio show, Pendulette's Out the Door. Which, by the way, I found out that Pendulette is a self-proclaimed anarcho-capitalist. Which oh, I found that interesting. Good for him. Uh, who would you support in the 2008 elections? Oh, wait, excuse me, that's uh, the next question. The first question is, what about anti-war? Are there no wars libertarians can support? Rockwell says, we can, report, we can support any defense of person and property, but war, as we understand the term in modern times, is a government program like any other, meaning that it overutilizes resources, causes destruction of property and life, and fails to achieve its stated aims. On the last point, war often leads to the opposite of its stated aims. Iraq is a good example. But it's important for us to realize that in this respect, it's like any other government program. Western history had this idea of just war that was supposed to prevent war from starting and prevent them from becoming total. But who is left to decide what is just and what is not? The final authority here is the state. Of course it sees itself as just. That's why we need not just rules, but institutional change. And then he addresses the whole change issue because he's not so much in favor of this whole election thing. Even though he's promoting Ron Paul. The question is, will he actually vote for Ron Paul? Hmm. Find out here in moments. 800-259-9231. You can take control. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. The bulletin board system awaits over 235,000 posts, over 1,400 people interacting, all for free. Serious issues and fun stuff all being discussed at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Do you know if your hard-earned wealth is at risk? If you have a business, there's a one in three chance you'll be named in a lawsuit in the next year. 
That lawsuit could destroy your business and leave you penniless. At KeepYourAssets.net, they are experts in sheltering um, what you've earned. And it's not just for rich people. Go to KeepYourAssets.net and take their asset protection crash course today. That's KeepYourAssets.net. So sort of coming around full circle uh, from our voting discussion at the, at the start of the show, and in case you didn't hear that, uh, both Mark and I are in favor of voting. Mark probably a little bit more than me. I don't like to do it, but I'll do it anyway because I think that uh, I think that there's some value to it if there's someone worth voting for. I don't just go out and vote for the sake of voting. If it's a Republican versus a Democrat, I'll stay home. Well, there's a lot of time, um, especially around here, there's a lot of issues that go on the ballot. That's true. And those are, to, to, as far as I'm concerned, those are very important. Right. To, so in uh, many voting. cases, spending issues and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so if there's actually a clear pro-liberty choice on the ballot, I will abs- absolutely go out and vote for that person or side of the issue. But Lou Rockwell doesn't see it that way. This is Lou Rockwell from LouRockwell.com being interviewed about his position on the state, which is pretty much to completely abolish it and replace any state functions with market functions, which with, with him, I agree completely on that. You, of course, Mark, are... Uh, a little more moderate. Mm. Rockwell uh, was asked, well, who do you support in the 2008 elections? He says, I would like to see elections for public office abolished, and that is particularly true for the presidency. The idea of the president was initially that some far-seeing wise person would emerge from the ar- arist- aristocratic class who would sit atop the apparatus of the state and make sure that all things ran well. The founders weren't stupid. They knew there was a potential for abuse, so they made it possible to impeach the president if there was the slightest slip-up. Unfortunately, this didn't work. It was like putting the chief inmates in charge of overseeing the conduct of the other inmates. The problem is, they all ended up working together. If you look at the crop of people who are running for president today, you gain new understanding of Hayek's phrase, the worst get on top. What an amazing bunch of dangerous nothings they are. The Democrats look positively dreadful. The anti-war people among them have touted the idea that every young person should be enslaved into national service. Mm. Talked about that last week on the show. What are these people thinking? Most of them are nothing but voices for a special interest cause. The Republicans are creepy, too. People in love with the idea of military force and who think more jails and more wars solve all of the world's problems. In many ways, it seems like the 30s all over again, when everyone thought that we had to choose between socialism and fascism and that there was no other path. At least the confusions of the 30s have the excuse that a depression was raging. What's our excuse for forgetting the liberal vision today? It's really disgusting. Of course, I'm cheering on Ron Paul because he's exposing the nature of the whole system. He's not running for president. He's running against the presidency as it's currently understood. I don't know if Ron would would say that. Uh, Ultimately, however, I do not believe that politics offers a way out. What we need is a new consciousness concerning the idea of human liberty. Then he's asked, would you vote for a libertarian in any election? And Rockwell says, I don't vote. Why play along? Your vote doesn't count unless the election is decided by one vote. And you have far more chance of being killed on the way to the polls than that happening. Besides, the vote (laughs) is the sign and symbol of the democratic state. I abstain. Now, I understand his second objection that, okay, you're endorsing the system by voting. Right, I've heard it all before. I understand that. And I can argue against it pretty well. And I understand his position that, and he doesn't specify national versus local elections here. But uh, and but though the question was, would you right. vote for a libertarian in any election? He says your vote doesn't count. Right and now, when you were talking about George Bush and Al Gore in Florida in uh, 2000, um, the state of Florida, it really doesn't matter as far as the popular votes. Al Gore won that one in the state of Florida. If you were one of um, a few thousand people that didn't go to the polls, well, you changed the course of the election. Well, 
I don't know. That was more of like a... Wasn't that decided by a judge in the, the final It was, simply because verdict? it was so close. Anyway, in most national elections, I would agree with Rockwell. Your vote really doesn't count uh, that much. But it does count more in a local election. As we pointed out here in Keene, New Hampshire, there's anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people that'll turn out and vote in any given uh, municipal election, which would mean that your vote would have a significant impact, especially if there were 800 other people like you that were saying the same thing, oh, my vote doesn't count, and they stayed home. Mm -hmm. Well, if they all turned out and actually voted for the pro-liberty candidates, were there actually any to vote for... Then part of the reason that we have such a, part of the reason we have such crappy governments, whether it's municipal or national, is because people stay home. That's true. Uh, well, it's it's because people stay home, but also because there's not really usually anyone worth voting for. Yeah, I mean, that too. It, I don't blame people for abstaining from the process, uh, but that's what we're going to try and change here in New Hampshire. Across the state, we're going to be putting people on the ballot, and they might have an R and they might have a D next to their name. That won't matter. We're going to put people on the ballot that are going to be taking pro-liberty positions. That uh, here in Keene, in order to get free Keene, uh, my website, freekeen.com, uh, in order to get freekeen.com's endorsement, you have to sign the small government pledge. I won't endorse you unless you sign that pledge. And that pledge says, very simply, that, uh, that you'll vote small government every single issue, every time, no excuses. You cannot make government bigger at all. And so I think that's that's going to be something that's going to excite a lot of people. That's going to get those people out there that have been waiting for somebody that has a similar viewpoint as them to vote for to come out and actually vote. I think it, I think it could work. I think we could actually have a win this year. And maybe I'm just eternally optimistic, Mark, but I really I really think that's possible. It, it maybe so. I hope so. I mean, I'm certainly I'm working in that direction myself. The final uh, question, or one of the final questions here, is: Some say you're an anarchist. Is that true? Rockwell says, the term anarchist is mostly used to mean someone who believes that if the state and law are gotten rid of, all property would become collectively owned. It was the great insight of Murray Rothbard that this is not the case. Private ownership and the law that support it are natural, while the state is artificial. So he was an anarchist in this sense, but to avoid confusion, he used the term anarcho-capitalist. This doesn't mean that he favored somehow establishing a capitalist system in place of the state. What he said is that capitalism is the de facto result in a civilized society without a state. Has this position made advances? Yes, but not so many that we can use the term anarchism without causing confusion. If the purpose of words is to communicate, I'm not sure that that term does that well. I agree with him there. I think the, I think the term anarchist is pretty much worthless. Uh, it's been destroyed by uh, by society. As to my own views, I do believe that society thrives best without a state. But I'm with Rothbard and the others who believe in law and private government, such as we find in corporations, housing subdivisions, and church hierarchies. So if by anarchism we mean a society without law, I'm completely against that idea. So he's all for law, but private law, law based out of uh, competition, law based out of the marketplace, law based ultimately out of private property, the same kind of private law that exists here on this show. We set the rules on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is private property. It is the show that you can take control of, which means you can call in and bring anything up. But if you call in and you violate an FCC rule and regulation, you're gone. You're gone. I'm going to utilize my property rights to eject you off of my phone lines because it's mine and I get to do what I want with it. My property. My property. My, my, my. That's right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that... You take that out and you multiply it out times everybody that's got private property, whether it be land or you know an internet forum or a radio show, and the, those individuals who own that property get to set the rules that they find appropriate for that property. You, as another free person, 
gets to choose whether or not to traverse onto that person's property, whether or not to enter their forum, whether or not to call the radio show. And so in that way, the market decides what are the most fair rules. What are the rules that people are going to put up with? What are the rules that people find reasonable? The market should decide that, not some arbitrary bureaucrats. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control, bring up what you want. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. 1-800-259-9231. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. We've got live streams. There's a, whoa, there's a broadband. There's a funny little show. computer noise. I don't know, but I need to make it go away because it's been happening almost every other night. Anyway, there's a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version on our website. For your enjoyment, head over to freetalklive.com to take advantage of that. Just sort of talking about uh, anti-state ideas, getting the government... Well, completely gone. That's the position that Lou Rockwell takes uh, from LouRockwell.com in an interview with him, just asking him about sort of the concepts of uh, uh, is libertarian a good name for people like us? Uh, and when I say us, I mean Lou Rockwell and I and sort of you, Mark. And also um, Ron Paul and his viewpoint on Ron Paul, and that is that he supports Ron Paul. He's he's helping promote Ron Paul, but he's not going to go out and vote for Ron Paul. So they find kind of strange. I guess he could do what he wants. It's, it's his website. Uh, but nonetheless, the final question here is, do you agree with Ron Paul that we should go by the Constitution and that's it? Rockwell says the Constitution would be a major improvement over what we have today. Sounds like you. But we need to realize that the Constitution was itself represented a major increase in government power over the Articles of Confederation. It's true. Which would have served us quite well had it not been overthrown. I'm not impressed by the bunch that foisted the Constitution on us. They were really up to no good. We've all but forgotten that most everyone opposed it at the time. It only squeaked through once the Bill of Rights was tacked on. If, and the Bill of Rights isn't perfect, but at least it had the advantage of spelling out what the government could not do. In a rather ingenious twist, even that has been perverted. It is now seen as a mandate for the federal government to tell lower orders of government what they cannot do, meaning that it ends up being a force for centralization. This is such a tragedy. If Patrick Henry could see what became of it, I'm sure he never would have tolerated it. The same might even be true of Hamilton, for that matter. So long as we're talking about founding documents, the one that really deserves more attention is the Declaration of Independence. Now, that's an inspiring document that shows us where we should go in the future. And of course, that was all about overthrowing uh, the tyrannical state, the uh, state of Britain. At the time. Yes. I mean, you know, it, it was we were controlled by a monarchy, and uh, we had enough. Right. The idea being that... Uh, when governments are created by the consent of the governed, that those who are consenting or were consenting have the right to alter or abolish it at any time, as I recall, if I'm recalling correctly. And I agree with that concept. I think that we, I think that we need to convince people, help them understand that they need to withdraw their consent from this system. Okay, go out and vote if you feel, if you feel it necessary, and I think that it's still useful to vote in many circumstances. But understand that, uh, you know, just because you're voting, I don't think that that means that you're endorsing the system. I think some um, so-called anarchists would would make that claim. They'll make the claim that if you go and vote, well, then you get what you deserve. If you go and vote, then, well, if they tax you, you have to pay those taxes. I don't think that's the case. I think that if indeed 
you have the so-called right to vote, to participate in the system, then that doesn't necessarily obligate you to whatever the demands that the rulers want to place upon you once they get elected into office. I didn't vote for George W. Bush, and I didn't vote for Al Gore. So I don't feel, uh, why should I have to follow the rules that they set? I don't think that anybody should. 800-259-9231. Well, I would agree that the, uh, the I would say that the Constitution um, outlines the federal government's role. And uh, the federal government has grown well beyond that role at this point. So therefore, um, y- y- we need to, to pull things back. I don't know about the, you know, wh- whether you have the obligation or not to follow their rules. because There's you no obligation. Didn't, didn't There's no explicit agreement. Any of those things, all those things are fine. Um, what I, you know, I think that a, a, a tack that makes more sense to people is, look, right here, Constitution, highest law of the land. It's clear. This this federal government too is bad it's way not clear. way way too big. The general welfare clause. It, the, come on, the general Interstate welfare. Interstate commerce. Those those two. Anybody can read this constitution. Are and, you in a militia? I don't think so. What does that mean? Well, the people interpret oh. the constitution and the bill of rights however yes, they want. I am in a militia. Are I've you? declared myself <laughs> a militia of one. A militia of Mark. There you go. Now, <laughs> let's go on. <laughs> Well, then they will, then they'll make the claim that well the militias are government sanctioned and so really militias well, and um uh, the constitution having been written 1789 there is not a single militia ever government sanctioned up until that point militias were groups of citizens one eight hundred two five I agree with you Mark but I'm just saying that the uh, the people who oppose liberty can use the constitution on their side as well that's the problem with it. All right, Ron Paul, right? He's uh, been pretty popular in the Internet world. If you've been paying attention online to the presidential debates and Republicans uh, that are out there, then you've heard of Ron Paul if you're online. If you're in the real world, you've probably heard of Ron Paul as well because all of the attention he's been getting online has translated into real news coverage for him. He's gotten, I think he's appeared on CNN. He's been on Bill Maher's show. He's going to be on The Daily Show soon. He's been on Hannity and Combs. Of course, he's been in the Republican debates as well and, and stirred it up in the most recent one with Rudy Giuliani. So he's uh, he's been making a mark, but really heavily online. And because of the fact that he's been making a mark online, a lot of the news organizations are trying to marginalize him because of that. They're saying, well, Ron Paul, you're, he's not doing anything. He's just an the, online candidate. He's not doing anything in the polls. He's, he's just being supported by a handful of online activists. Well, I mean, even if that claim were true, it would mean that Ron Paul's activists are better activists than everybody else's activists. That much would be the case. But techpresident.com has actually done a little bit of digging, and they've looked into some of the online results that Ron Paul has gotten, and they've determined that these are some results, some of them, that really can't be gamed. That if there really were this sort of you know, cabal of Ron Paul promoters on the Internet. Right. Let's that, say that there's a thousand Ron Paul promoters, out there, which is a huge amount of uh, online activists, mm-hmm. I'd say. But maybe we could even go crazy and go 1,500. Okay. And, uh, you know, is it possible for 1,500 people to game the system, um, to game all of these polls that Ron Paul has won, some of which he's won, uh, what, like 12, 12 to 1 over the next closest competitor? Yeah. Well, not just polls, but other things here. We'll go into them. Uh, Michael Safry, or Mika Safry, writing, I'm not sure how far we should take this analogy, but Ron Paul is to the Republicans of 2008 as Howard Dean was to the Democrats of 2004, the one candidate speaking out prominently against the war when his colleagues were silent or supportive. 
Since politics like nature abhors a vacuum, we shouldn't be surprised that he's starting to take off online. A week ago, Robert Smith of NPR did an interview with me on what he called the fringe candidates, specifically Paul and former Senator Mike Gravel, and how and why the Internet might be helping their candidacies. Most of the interview, of course, didn't end up on the air, but I was pretty satisfied with the two sound bites for me that he did, that did make it in. The first made the point that Paul was benefiting from the Net's libertarian-leaning culture. And the second noted that whenever you create a site with interactive elements, people will play with them and create unintended consequences. Uh, after the, I called this the Sanjaya effect, after the American Idol contestant who was propelled towards the finals of that show, in part because of websites like VoteForTheWorst.com and pranksters like Howard Stern that used the voting system to throw its producers a literal screwball. But after spending a little more time looking closely at Paul's rising popularity online, I think it's unfair to keep calling him a fringe candidate, or to attribute much of his success to any Sanjaya effect. Paul is clearly gaining some traction in the electorate, and I think the reason is obvious. First, the evidence. You've probably already heard that Paul was hot on the social news site Dig.com, and that he's been at or near the top current search terms on Technorati, which is a website that lists all of the blogs on the Internet. Uh, yeah, and he's number one subscribed on YouTube as well. Given that a devoted core of people can temporarily boost results on those sites if they want, it's easy to dismiss those signs. But consider this. In the last few days, ever since the televised re- uh, Republican debate where Paul and Giuliani had their highly visible confrontation over the roots of 9-11, Paul has had a big jump in four metrics that I think are very significant. The number of Ron Paul meetups the number of people demanding a Ron Paul appearance in their city on eventful.com, mm-hmm. the number of people subscribing to his YouTube channel, and the overall number of blog posts mentioning his name. All of these are platforms that are hard to game. At the moment, there are 134, and this was written about a week ago at this point, there are 134 Ron Paul 2008 meetups with almost 4,900 members and nearly another 2,000 people listed as interested in joining one. Many of these started in the last few days, so I wouldn't be surprised to see his numbers rise as those groups mature. Paul has more meetups than anyone else, though when you look at the others, it's clear they have more mature membership among the meetings that have formed. Now, there's an important part beyond just the numbers about these meetups. There's money involved. We'll explain that coming up and how it uh, really makes this a significant statistic for Ron Paul. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. Only moments remain. Just enough time for your call. If you make it now at 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us online. Freetalklive.com. Place to go. All of the features there are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Though if you like the show and you want to help support us, then go and shop with us at store.freetalklive.com. we got all kinds of great merchandise, and there is a number of it that's brand new. Uh, so new that we haven't even released it yet, but we are taking pre-orders at this point. The orders are in for the products, so they're now actually being created. And as soon as they're created, they'll be shipped to our, uh, our man Johnson, who will then ship them out quickly to those of you who have uh, pre-ordered them. So uh, get on the pre-order cycle right now by going to store.freetalklive.com. Uh, get yourself the Free Talk Live 2-gigabyte multi-gadget. It's a 2-gigabyte MP3 player, flash drive, voice recorder, and FM tuner, all rolled into one with our snazzy logo on it as well. Uh, plus, we've got brand new Free Talk Live clothing, like the Free, Market, uh, Free Marketeer t-shirt, which actually doesn't have anything that says Free Talk Live on it. It's just cool looking. Uh, there's also the Free Talk Live ladies t-shirt, the 2 Types of Free Talk Live hoodies, pullover style and zippered style. The Free Talk Live brand new beanie cap, as well as the Free Talk Live lighter bottle opener combo. Get all those and all of our older items at store.freetalklive.com. Now, we're talking about Ron Paul. In case you don't know, he is the nine-term, 
U.S. congressman, I believe. The number I've heard. Uh, you know, He's been at it for a while. Uh, they, call, best here. <laughs> they call him Dr. No because uh, he's the man that votes no on virtually everything that comes across his desk. And that's because, well, he actually cares about the Constitution and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, so, so he's a pretty liberty-oriented guy. And he's running for president. Um, he's one of the Republican candidates, as you may be aware if you are a libertarian. Ron ran as a libertarian uh, for president back in 1988. I believe he scored over 400,000 400, votes back then. Not bad for the 80s. Um, and so now he's running as a Republican. And as a result of running as a Republican, as opposed to being the, the libertarian candidate, he's actually getting some attention. He's gotten into the uh, the Republican debates. He's really made quite a showing. And after the debates were over, all of the commentators were just sort of, oh, I don't understand. How's this Ron Paul getting all these numbers in these polls? Because Fox did the phone poll thing where you right. had to vote with the text message. And Ron Paul almost won that poll. He came in a close second place. And some might uh, some might say that they gamed uh, him out of it. They gamed him out of it at the very end because he was number one for they most of the They changed the rules, time. too. That's true. They ended it early. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that that I didn't really want to focus on. Um, but the news people are trying to marginalize him as much as possible, trying to sideline him, saying, "Well, he's just an internet candidate." Right. The There's... news media hates the idea that the American people might be excited about a candidate that they haven't set out there for them um, to decide on. The news media wants to to make the kings. They want to crown the next president. And uh, if you don't let us, we're going to be angry about it. And they are very angry about it. Uh, he was on Hannity and Co's, and Sean Hannity wouldn't even let him get a word in edgewise. I mean, he was supposed to be doing an interview. And all he would do is just puke on his uh, Republican garbage all over uh, Ron Paul. His support, blind support for the war and all of that. It was, mm-hmm. it was embarrassing. It was an embarrassing interview. Um, not for Ron Paul, but for Sean Hannity as an interviewer. It's pathetic. So what we're talking about here is an article from techpresident.com, who is actually, this, this guy has uh, looked into some of the online results that Ron Paul's been getting in various different places. And it's one thing to game an internet poll. You know, you put up a poll, it's unscientific, mm-hmm. anybody can vote from, it's it's usually IP checked, but you can always reset your IP, and you, you could theoretically game those. But um, the gentleman from uh, Tech President here, Mike Mikosifri, has really looked into some of the other uh, indicators of Ron Paul's online popularity, and it turns out these other indicators, not so easy to game. As he points out, when he wrote the article, which was uh, several days ago, I think it was the 24th, there are 134 Ron Paul 2008 meetups on meetup.com which is a website where you can uh, create a, a group for whatever special interest you have. Maybe you're a vegetarian or a libertarian or whatever it is you're into. Mm-hmm. You can create a meetup, and then other people who are in your area can join that meetup group, and you can you know, organize and get together and hang out and do stuff. Activism, for instance. And so that's what they're using a meetup for, for Ron Paul, is to get Ron Paul activist groups together in different areas around the country. So there are 134 of those groups. And he points out that uh, given that meetup organizers have to pay a modest subscription fee, I don't think that you can claim that a tiny group of Ron Paul fanatics are somehow gaming this platform. He says, and by the way, it's clear that the other campaigns ought to shake loose some cash and get their unorganized supporters together. 259 people listing themselves as interested in another candidate's meetup in Seattle talk about low-hanging fruit. So the fact is, the 134 people that started those Ron Paul meetup groups, they had to pay whatever the subscription fee is for that website in order to start up those groups. Now, how many online voting scam artists do you know that are actually going to reach into their pocket and run charge cards through 134 times. Unlikely. Yeah, not very likely at all. But that's not it. 
on Eventful, which is a website that is de- uh, dedicated to setting up uh, consumer demand for certain types of appearances and events, uh, Ron Paul's demand is vastly outstripping demand for any other Republican candidate. Uh, if you look at the charts, he'd be in a close second behind Hillary Clinton were we to put him alongside the Democrats. In fact, uh, it was I think Barack Obama is still number one there, Hillary Clinton number two, and Ron Paul number three, and he's, he's gaining on them. Uh, I asked Eventful founder and CEO Brian Deere how they make sure their site isn't gamed, and he wrote back that in the year or so since we launched, we've seen several attempts at gaming the system, and we've added a variety of mechanisms to detect patterns of abuse and prevent spoofing and other cheating activity. We look at all the obvious factors, including email address, IP address, as well as other things to help us determine if a user's demand activity is legitimate. Last summer, we were seeing some pretty impressive large-scale attempts at cheating, but we quickly went in and added some countermeasures and put a stop to it. Any kind of online polling voting system is going to have some small percentage of people who always take it as a challenge to attempt to cheat the system, so it's something we'll always have to be wary of and continue to monitor for new exploits. But for the most part, we're to the point where we're confident that the vast majority of demands are legitimate, whether they're for concerts by musical artists or speeches by a political figure. As for Ron Paul's demands, among Republican campaigns, his campaign has been the early adopter for eventful demand. They vigorously pushed eventful demand to his supporters. I see demand Ron Paul links on the Ron Paul official site, MySpace page, etc. That, plus all the protections we have built into eventful, make me highly skeptical of the theory that his demand activity is simply the work of a dozen people. Rather, my guess is that Ron Paul's libertarian roots appeal to a significant number of techie web users. Also, the rest of the Republicans simply haven't been anywhere near as active as Paul's campaign in appealing to the net roots, which leaves Ron Paul as the current leader in at least online activity. And, and the, the, the biggest grassroots um, candidate out there. So that's the founder of this company. Event, it's eventful.com is the website there. And the link's on uh, the front of Ron, Ron Paul's website, ronpaul2008.com. But that's the founder of the company saying, you know, this isn't just an online poll that CNN puts up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just throw a poll online, you don't really pay that much attention to who's using it and how's, how it's going. But they have a whole system that's constantly online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so they have to, uh, to make it iron, as ironclad as possible. So they put in all sorts of measures, and he's confident that, that it's legitimate, that the demand is legit. All good points. Two more signs that interest and support for Paul is real, as opposed to artificially inflated. He's got nearly twice as many subscribers to his YouTube channel than, Osa- uh, than Obama, and just look at the huge number in blog posts mentioning his name in the last week. Uh, they've been, they've been, they're off the charts. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they go up and up uh, after, the, uh, after the debates. I know. They, they've got me convinced. I believe it. I'm not out here just blowing hot air. <laughs> Why is Ron Paul catching a wave online? A recent poll of likely Iowa Republican caucus goers found that a majority want the U.S. to withdraw all of its military forces from Iraq in the next six months. Those are Republicans. A majority of Republicans wanted the withdrawal. Sick of paying for it. We already know the Iraq war is unpopular across the country and obviously within the Democratic base. Even these numbers from Iowa Republicans, even if these numbers from Iowa Republicans are exaggerated, there still must be a sizable minority of Republicans who are fed up with the war. And right now, Ron Paul's the only Republican presidential candidate who's speaking to them. No wonder people are gravitating to him in the one medium that allows grassroots voters to self-organize and demonstrate their own affiliations and passions. The Internet. I'm telling you, the Internet, as it continues to mature, is going to be the key, the key to restoring liberty in our lifetimes. I, I, you've said that many times, and I don't know whether, whether I believed it the first time you said it, but uh, I'm definitely of that opinion now. It's, it's an amazing tool that, that it, it cuts out the middleman. 
it really does. There's no more relying on the media to decide for us, as you were talking about a few moments ago. Right. The media, that's how it's always been. It's right. been their traditional angry. role. They're angry that it's not their role any longer. Just like the RIAA is angry that people are downloading their music without paying for it. Like all these other, you know, all these other old media, sort of old uh, old guard organizations. Right. Things are there a-changing. They are, and there's not a damn thing they can do about it. They can huff and puff and cry all they want. But as long as they don't actually shut down the Internet, and uh, word is they are going to be trying to tax it soon, that could be a problem. But as long as they don't shut down the Internet, it will be the uh, the most crucial element to the destruction of politics as we know it today. And hopefully, and eventually, the destruction of the state entirely, if I get my way. It has been Ian here with you. And Mark. And so, uh, so according to this, according to the analysis, Ron Paul's online results, absolutely legitimate. I wonder uh, what their excuse is going to be when he wins the next debate next week. Should be interesting to find out. 800-259-9231, because that one's happening here in our home state of New Hampshire. We'll be back tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.